Okay, guys. <laughs> All right, welcome to the second episode of the Love Means Nothing podcast. Here with my co-host Vid Yudav. Uh, this is Drew Yudav. We've got a lot of things that happened here in Italy this week, uh, both on the men's and women's side. And uh, I think I think we're kind of ready to get into it. Vid, how's your uh, how's your Monday going? Uh, it's going good. I think you're looking forward to getting into episode two. Got some good feedback on episode one and shout out to our, our one viewer in Lisbon, Portugal, whoever that is. Thanks for listening to our episode. But yeah, excited to uh, talk about kind of what's happened this week in Rome, what's happening in the 250s as we just kind of come up to Paris pretty soon. Yeah, shout out to Benoit Pair beating Emil Roussevori today in the first round. Uh, incredible win, but um no, I mean, it's, it's, it's gone too long that we cannot ignore Iga Sviantek and, and what she's doing. The magnitude of which, um, you know, we have not seen. That, that was such an incredible tournament for her, coming in as a favorite after a week off in Madrid, uh, just kind of going through the draw with ease. And then the matchup we were all waiting for was Ons Jabeur, who's probably playing the after Iga, the best tennis right now in the women's game, um, tuned in Sunday morning for that. And I mean, Ons threw everything at her. It was uh, tried everything, tried drop shotting, tried moving around the court. But yeah, Iga Swiatek, that's 38 and three now uh, on the season, five consecutive tournaments. Um, and I mean, you look at some of the magnitude of she's <laughs> she's eight and zero in her last eight finals, including. A 6-0-6-0 defeat against Pliskova in Rome last year. 6-2-6-0 against Kontavite. Uh, you know, 6-2-6-2 against Sabalenka. We can go on. But uh, these finals are not close. She's reaching a peak level that, frankly, I haven't seen before in women's tennis. And this kind of a streak has not been matched. That's 28 matches in a row. Has not been matched since Serena Williams won 34 in a row in the early 2010s. So... Uh, Vid, what was your? We know you're a big, big Iga fan. So, what was your takeaway from that, from that final, that tournament, and just her run overall? Yeah, first of all, just just for all all the listeners, big, huge Iga fan I am, and I will start off by saying I'm really happy that we're leading with um, the WTA tour for our second episode. I feel like they didn't get enough air on our first episode, and um, I'm really happy we're leading off with this, Drew. So, I'll start with that. Uh, with regards to Iga, her streak, her game, um, obviously, like you said, it's uh, amazing what she's doing. And I think um, one of the thing, thing about her results is that they have been, you know, she's had tournaments. I can't remember which one it was. She's won so many at this point. But she was losing the first set of every match, I think maybe four matches in a row or five total, something like that. And she bounced back every time when she was down a set, came back strong. Um, dug out of holes and we've seen her win those kind of matches and we've also seen her just demolish the competition as well um, running through the draw here in Rome um, destroying ons in the finals so we've kind of seen it all from her and with regards to her game what I will say is um, watching her she really keeps everything compact really you know close to her body 
um, moves incredibly well. I think the best that I've ever seen from a woman on the tour, uh, to be honest. And I think that kind of game style is um, pretty bulletproof because even when she's not having her best day, uh, she can find a way to turn it around and get on top of literally whoever she's playing. Yeah, I mean, you talk about, you often see players that have maybe big shots, a big serve, big return, or they have incredible movement. And you're like, maybe if you could put all those together, who would be the player that we get? And I almost think that's that's Iga Sviantek because, uh, you know, she puts her opponents on skates. They don't have enough time. She's taking the racket out of their hand. And then even the, the girls that can kind of move her around, use their craftiness a little bit, uh, she's unaffected by it. I mean, she's the fastest girl on tour by far. And then when you talk about it from a power aspect, I mean, the craziest thing is like semifinals against Arena Sabalenka, when you think Sabalenka's probably got one of the biggest forehands in the women's game, right? Uh, that's 81 miles an hour was uh, the average uh, forehand for Iga Sviantek. Ariana Sabalenka, 68 miles an hour in that match. That's a 13 mile per hour difference. And just for some context as to how big Iga is hitting her forehand right now, um, you know, I just pulled up a random uh, major from the men's game, 2016 Australian Open. How about Thomas Burdich, 80 miles per hour forehand uh, average? So, so Iga Sviantek right now is hitting her forehand somewhere in between Burdich and Warinka uh, at the 2016 Australian Open. Again, a place where the balls travel pretty fast in that hot environment. So uh, it's just, just it's a pleasure to watch, a pleasure to watch. And I think, you know, we're so focused on that upstart Carlos Alcaraz over on the ATP tour that I feel like we've been kind of not giving Iga her due a little bit throughout this entire run. And she was able to shine on the court uh, this week. And I don't know, just thinking about who is someone that might have a chance against her. It's just really unfortunate because the girl who retired, Ashley Barty, I just wish we could see that matchup right now. I mean, we know they played um, in Australia early this year. Barty won. Barty also beat her last year in Madrid. But, man, I, I just think, Ash, can you come back for a couple tournaments so we can see uh, uh, these, two, these two girls play? But, no, I mean, she's on a roll right now. She's calm, cool, collected, uh, and just, just putting everything together. Yeah, no, I t totally, totally agree with your points there, Drew. Especially, I was thinking of the exact same thing. I was like, really, right now, the only person that could challenge Iga is Ash with her kind of crafty game. And I'll say all those stats you're reading off about Iga, I mean, I haven't even heard those. But just watching her play, um, you know, she's moving like as good as a Yeah, she's moving as good as a guy out there. She's hitting huge balls. And yeah, and she's also has variety in her game, which is not very common in the women's game besides Ash Barty. I'll tell you, you know, you watch some of these top women, um, a lot of them, amazing athletes, amazing tennis players, but they don't really have the variety that um, some of the top men have. And the variety also lacks on the men's side, don't get me wrong, but I think Iga's taken it up a level or is getting up to Ash Barty's level in terms of uh, what she can do with the ball. So I think that's kind of propelling her in her winning streak and I totally agree with you the only person I could, I could personally see taking her out in the French Open would be if Ash Barty came back but don't think we're going to see that and honestly I think it's not um it's pretty not crazy to say that Iga is going to win the French Open I mean it's one it's one yeah. thing it's one thing for you to win a couple finals like in destruction 6-3-6-3-6-2-6-2 but I mean for like we talked about magnitude kind of last week with Brooksby and his loss, the magnitude of that loss made him kind of a loser for last week. But Iga, 
just destroying these girls consistently. I don't know. The magnitude of it is what really kind of opened my eyes as well. Yeah, agree. And I also, like you mentioned before, you know, there's a lot, the spotlight's really more so on Carlos Alcaraz right now than Iga Sviantec. And I think that may be because um, Iga's kind of, she's done it before. She won the French Open, what was it, two years ago now when she was 18. And some people, you know, forget that. Um, there's a big spotlight on Emma Raducanu. And I understand it was Emma's, you know, first two, three tournaments on the tour, but Iga did win the French Open at 18, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And um, she's just kind of doing her thing. I think, um, you know, it's not getting the attention that it deserves. Maybe it is because of what Carlos Alcaraz is doing, but um, it is remarkable. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, do you think anyone has a chance? I kind of was taking a peek at the girls who have been able to defeat here this year, 38-3, and three, but Danielle Collins at the Australian Open. That was a straight set win for Danielle. And then... Um, I think it was, I want to say Ostapenko. Ostapenko beat her 7-6 in the third early this year in a tournament. And the only thing that can, I can take from those two girls who had beat her, who might be able to beat her them, is um, feisty, really believe in themselves, and just are going to be tenacious and fight. And then the third person, I think the only person who could beat Iga is Iga right now. Um, obviously, she seems like she's in such an incredible mindset and things are coming to her easy, but... As we know in tennis, things are very fickle. Things can change um, very fast. And it's interesting, Iga right now, Vid, who would you take, Iga or the field to win the French Open? You know what? I'm just going to say that's, a, that's just a crazy question. The fact that I'm thinking about <laughs> Look, the fact we're asking it is absurd, but I'm going to ask it. The fact that we're asking that question is crazy. And the fact that I'm really <laughs> contemplating it is, is nuts. <laughs> but... I'm just going to have to take, take Iga. I don't, I, I, I don't see anyone else winning it. And that's just, that's just crazy to say. But I can't believe we're asking the question. The, the, the odds makers have it about 50-50. So Iga's plus 110. Uh, the field is like minus 130. So the field is a slight favorite over Iga right now. I'll take the field because this is just too perfect. It's too much of a fairy tale story. Things are going too well for her. Um, I'm rooting for Iga 100%. But something in inside my head of saying that she's not gonna win the French Open and I have nothing to back it up. Iga, Iga, if you're listening, uh, just, just, <laughs> this'll, this'll just say that Drew, Drew's not a believer in you. So if you ever stumble, across, stumble across this podcast, uh, I don't know. I don't know what Iga's gonna think of you, Drew. <laughs> okay, well, I, I, think, I, I think that's enough. I mean, do we wanna say anything about Ons Jabor? I mean, it's such an incredible two weeks um, uh, for her, just historic, uh, you know, especially when you talk about Arab women in tennis. Also want to give a shout out to Mayar Sharif, who won the WTA 125,000 uh, event, farthest an Egyptian woman's ever gone. So uh, we talk about growing the game in some of these areas that maybe are not uh, as into tennis. And I think, you know, girls from that region doing well is, is, is really, really cool to see. Um, no, I think Anz is playing well. She just ran into a slap, so sledgehammer and and Iga, and I think her confidence is still going to be high. And she made a comment after the match that said, I, I kind of wish I had believed in myself. So I think maybe she's just, Iga was playing so well, it's hard to believe in yourself, uh, to be honest. But so impressive for Mons to back that up. And, um, you know, she came back uh, early in the tournament down. She was down, I think, a set in 5-2, multiple match points. So see that fight after already, you know, winning last week in Madrid is just, it's just so impressive for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, totally agree with everything. It's um, she's had a great couple weeks um, winning in Madrid, backing it up with a final here in Rome, and 
Um, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how she does in Paris. I don't think I can say she's going to beat Iga, win the tournament, or even get to the finals, but I could see her going very deep, whatever um, that means. And with what you said with regards to kind of where she's come from, um, North Africa, kind of the Arab world, seeing um, a woman excel um, in the sport of tennis is great for the sport, uh, great for the region, great for uh, women in that region. And I think it'll probably or hopefully will motivate a lot of um, girls and guys too, boys too, in that region to pick up some rackets and play some tennis over there. Yeah, I mean, that, that wraps up the women, I think, pretty well. And obviously the men's draw had a lot of different things happening, culminating with Novak reaching his peak form and coming with the, out with the title. Uh, Vid, I know you also said you know, last week that coming into the Italian Open, this was not a week that you were necessarily paying attention to Rafa and Novak. Um, kind of said it wasn't that important uh, of a week uh, for your, your thoughts. Obviously, I think we can both agree that that has kind of changed. Um, but uh, I don't know. What was, your, what was your takeaway? I mean, I think we can save maybe Djokovic hits a pass for later, but kind of the rest of the tournament, Nadal's injury, um, maybe some of the other guys who did well. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think maybe what I said in terms of the Italian Open not being a huge deal is I think you, what you, how you put it, you were exaggerating it a bit. Um, <laughs> the tournament didn't matter. It is huge. It's the tournament before the French Open. And we're going to be looking at, you know, every player seeing how their form is going in. And what I did say about the Italian Open was that every match Djokovic wins and however deep he goes will be really good for his confidence and really help him with the French Open. But what I was trying to say in that statement last episode was if, you know, Nadal or Djokovic is looking great and you know they go out in the semis or finals or don't win the tournament, essentially – then um, I don't think it's a red flag for them not being able to win Paris. So that's what I guess I'm just kind of re- trying to rephrase what I was saying uh, to make it make more sense because, you know, saying the Italian Open doesn't matter is not exactly what I was going for. But with regards to what happened this week, um, I think some of the, the biggest takeaway was Nadal's injury because that was also something that I was not factoring in uh, when I made those statements last week. And really that was the biggest takeaway from this tournament, him being injured – I don't know. I don't think anyone does knows how he'll be feeling for the French Open. And I would I would have said that, you know, we can count on him not being ready for the French Open. But I've said things about Nadal being hurt in the past. And it just gets proven wrong by him because he's such an animal and a beast and a dog on the court. So I'm just going to say we'll see what happens. I wouldn't be surprised if he won the French Open, even though he was limping on the court. Uh, against Dennis and mentioning Dennis I think that was another really big takeaway from Rome was how well he played against Rafa even though Rafa was injured in that third set um, Dennis showed a lot um, of variety in his game Um, he wasn't doing the same thing over and over again he was finding a game plan against Rafa and executing it which was really stepping into the court taking Rafa's ball early because it wasn't penetrating as much through the court and kind of teeing off on those um, inside the court, hitting winners, noticing that that was working and then kind of kept replicating that. And I thought that was huge for him and it'll be uh, great to see how he does um, in this 250 in Geneva that he's playing and also see how he does at the French. Yeah. I mean, you talk about Rafa, obviously I'm never going to count a guy like him out. Who's 
the undisputed king of clay court tennis worldwide in the history of tennis. But at the same time, this is the first instance which he's gone through a clay court season without reaching the finals of a clay court event. So I think that in itself is a red flag. And again, we've talked about some of the quotes that he says. He just seems so dejected with his foot that just obviously all these players, they have access to world-class medical treatment, the best doctors, second opinions, third opinions, fourth opinions. Um, so you'd think at this point, he's probably exhausted all of his options about solving the issue with his foot. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I think sometimes maybe there's these pain-killing medications that you can get uh, that maybe will be able to last them two, these two weeks for the French Open. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. It's certainly concerning. Like you said, the, the ball was just not penetrating the court. As always, the Rafa fight was there. He was never going to retire or anything like that. So going out on his sword. But, uh, you know, it's, it's concerning for sure. And he's going to have to rack up some quick wins, lower his court time, minimize uh, his time on the court at the French Open. No, I agree. Denis Shapovalov, I think he's got someone in his ear that is just telling him the right things. Because we know he's got the game and he's got power on each one of his strokes. He's got spin. He's got variety. For him, it's more about when he needs to use all that, right? I mean, his serve, for example, he's got a huge lefty serve out wide to the to the righty backhand. But he's also got a kick serve on the deuce side that literally has got, had Rafa like a meter outside of the doubles alley returning a serve. So he's learning how to utilize, kind of restrain and utilize some of that some of that serve power and even utilize a serve and volley tactic. Um, you know, we often say with pitchers, you kind of have to deal and uh, change things up. And I think. Dennis is learning – he's learning his own game a lot better, which is great to see. And even in the, you know, next round against Casper Ruud, close, close, close match, I think, it was 6-6 six and six or 6-5. Six and five. Um, But just really impressed with his game and his attitude. And um, let's, let's say Shapers is trending up towards uh, the French Open, and uh, he's going to be a factor in some sense of the word. No one wants to play that guy right now. No, yeah, totally agree with that. I think he has so much unlocked potential, and he's starting to unlock that with – putting more variety into his game. I think the next step for him will be those days when he's, you know, teeing off on those shots and missing. It'll be him wanting to kind of restrain himself, um, get points going a little slower, throwing little loop loop balls in there and kind of getting into matches where on the days he's not feeling his best. And if he can do that, he will be a big factor in, you know, every Grand Slam tournament as he is already. I mean, he got to the finals or semifinals of Wimbledon last year. So it's not like this not like this guy's just a random player who's 70 in the world. He's a Grand Slam contender or will soon to be, hopefully. Yeah, I think for Shappers, the thing is, is like what he needs to do is kind of like in the smaller tournaments is just pull back on his game a little bit because he can beat a lot of these guys that he's facing at these ATP 250s with 80, 85% of his game. And unfortunately, because he kind of just gets hits it out of his shoes sometimes, he ends up losing in the first round of these smaller events. And you know, we kind of rag on ATP 250s or whatever sometimes, but those events are really important. I mean, it's consistency that moves you up in the rankings. And uh, I think if Dennis can, you know, he's got the talent to be a top five, top eight guy, that's when you get better, you know, draws at the bigger tournaments and just continuing that momentum from there. So, yeah, like you said, he's playing, I think, Geneva this week, and uh, it would be awesome to see him come through uh, with a title this week as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's other other things to talk about, I guess. There's one thing I mentioned um i think one more thing and then i'm all set on the italian open is talked about shapovalov but there was really no mention of the guy who beat dennis in the quarters to get to the semis which was casper Rude. 
sneaky semifinal in a 1000. I think that guy is honestly a little disrespected by literally everyone in the tennis community, uh, the tennis media, and he, he's been winning 1000. He just doesn't do well at big events. Like, Shappers does. He, he, when is Casper? Has Casper even made a quarterfinal of a Grand Slam? I don't think so. I don't think he has either, but I we can't um, discount him getting to the finals of Miami, getting to the semis of Rome, and say that he's kind of a non-factor when it comes to Grand Slams. He's a good player. He's- him and him and Sinner are both obviously factors. They're great players. They're literally in the top ten, but you never think that they're going to pull off a big upset. Like I would be more, I would think that Karen Kachanov would have a bigger chance to pull off an upset at like Wimbledon than one of these guys would even at the French Open. So. I don't know. I just don't. I just think that they're not. They're not that. They're not threatening. They're not. Whereas it comes to even like guys like even TFO. Like I don't know these guys. Sinner and Rude. I put them in kind of similar buckets. They they, they can beat every beat everyone. They're really consistent. I mean they have the opposite problem of Shaffer's where they're really consistent against the lower ranked guys and then they can't step it up against the big guns. Mm-hmm. No, that's a it's a fair point. But just thought it was, thought it was worth worth mentioning his semifinal appearance and. Casper uh, is probably salivating to get to that 250 in Geneva. Um, seeing him at the clay court 250s is like seeing a kid in Chuck E. Cheese. So I'm sure he's going to have a good time out in Switzerland before heading to Paris. But I think that's all that I really had to say on the Italian Open. Yeah. So look, I mean, we had a lot of questions about Novak. I think at least I did personally coming in just because I hadn't seen his peak level of 2021 back on the tennis court. And he, like, hasn't had the best performances coming uh, and playing in Serbia, uh, even when he made the finals. So for me, Novak has answered basically all the questions that I had this week. Um, you saw against Felix Auger Eliasim. I mean, Felix was playing good tennis, big serves, big forehands, and Novak was basically everywhere on the court. Novak was up, you know, a, a break in the second set, let it slip a little bit there, but then came back in the tie break. Uh, his movement looks just as good as it, as it ever has. His forehand, I think, has even some extra RPMs on it. Um, and, yeah, Stefanos, if you hear Stefanos after the match, I think his confidence against Novak is just so low because he kind of looks up to Novak. He was saying, um, like, I hope someday I can be as good as you. And he kind of alluded uh, to that with just Stefanos' knowledge of every single thing that Novak does, focus on bettering his tennis but. Such a complete performance from Novak in the finals as well. I mean, 6-0 in the, fir- in the first set. Uh, Stefanos obviously didn't play his best there, but uh, 6-0 in the first set. Stumbled a little bit in the second, but just came back so strong in the third uh, to win it. That was the only set he dropped the ter- entire tournament was the second set. So, wow. I think we're just building up to this crescendo here in Paris. And uh, we know the Italian Open plays very similar to the courts on- at Paris. So, Novak knows what he's doing, and he's kind of peaking at the right time. Yeah, I agree with you on that. He is totally peaking at the right time. And just to kind of go back a little bit, a few tournaments back when Novak was kind of able to start playing some of these events, and he was taking those losses to Jiri Vesely, um, losing to Davidovich Vakina, um, not playing great at the Serbian Open, even though he got to the finals. There was a lot of chatter about, you know, will Novak be back, and Will he, we see the 2021 Novak? And I thought those questions from the media or whoever was asking them was total crap. I was asking. I was asking. I'm putting my hand up right now. I was asking the question. Okay. You were asking those questions. So you were, 
one of the guys who was asking total crap shoot questions that were totally unnecessary because I knew, I think, I hope to God everyone knew that he was going to be back. It was just a question of when. Was it going to be for the clay court season, playing his best tennis? Was it going to be for the grass court season and Wimbledon? Or was it going to be for the U.S. Open swing? And I, there was no way it was going to be that long. And it hasn't proven to be. He was playing amazing tennis um, at the Italian Open throughout the tournament. Looked amazing in that first set, like you mentioned. Stepping in, moving Stefanos around. After the first set, I was knew there was going to be a bit of a let-up because um, no one can go from a 6-0 dominant instruction set to winning the next set like that, unless you're Iga Sviantek. Um But it was – he looked good in that second set as well. And honestly, in the tiebreaker, in the second set, he looked a little bit nervous. But um, he did what he had to do. He won the match, won the tournament, and is in great form going into – Oh, wait, I totally messed up because I said – I said that he lost the second set. He didn't even lose the second set. He was down, but then he came back to one. So I was, I was wrong about that. He was straight set victory and didn't – wait, did he, he didn't lose the second set, right, against, against Stefanos? Bro, you got to keep up to date with the tour, man. Yeah, I, I, I messed up there. So, so no, he, he it was a straight set victory. He didn't, he didn't lose the set the entire the – entire. I was – I did watch it. I don't know why in my head I thought he lost the second set. But, down, a yeah. break, down a break in the set and then went to a tiebreaker. He looked really nervous. There were some yeah. terrible points in that tiebreaker, but he won it. Um, so he won 0 and 6, I think it, it was, or 1 and 6. Um, but yeah, one thing I'll touch on if we want to critique Novak Djokovic, no one should. He's the undisputed GOAT, I think, at this point. Uh, but if I was going to say something, it was that he looked a little nervous in that second set tiebreak. And um, nerves on the court for Nole was something I had never seen. Um, until the U.S. Open 2021, which he was um, rightfully so nervous. He was going for the um, calendar slam. The media was all over him. Um, uh, every match was, you know, a grind for him. So it makes sense why he was nervous there. But he also was a little nervous in that second set tiebreak. But I think that's extremely nitpicky. It means nothing. And I think he um, will be obviously really happy with his perform- performance going into Paris. Yeah, I mean, Vince playing a little bit Monday morning quarterback there because he's obviously said that we haven't seen this form from Novak since 2021, but he's saying he was convinced that, uh, you know, he would return to the form. I mean, I, I think it was they were valid questions. I mean, look at a guy like Dominic Team right now who's just struggling to even get a set, get to five games. Um, I'm going to be honest, like, I do have questions about his game. If he comes back, um, uh, that'll, that'll be great. But, um, no, a solid solid performance uh, from, from Novak. And uh, – I wouldn't say that he – I would say that, I, for me, he's a favorite going into Roland Garros. I, I, I think we're building up to this crescendo. And, um, you know, Carlos Alcaraz obviously is, is there in the wings, but something is telling me that he might not be 100% ready yet uh, for, for that stage, uh, especially against a guy like Novak, who's got, got 20 grand slams. So it'll, I'm really interested to see the draw of it because it's like if they play in the quarterfinals or something or the semis, it's like a different dynamic to, to a, the finals, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, he's, he's my favorite going into, going into Paris. I think Novak's going to win the French open and get a 21st slam. The bold prediction. And just to, you know, um, you saying that I'm playing Monday morning quarterback, just I think that's not true. I think all I said was that I never thought there was a question as to whether his game would come back where as people were just, making these questions just to make headlines. I don't know. Just maybe Tennis Channel needed something to talk about. So maybe that's why. 
But um, yeah, I just wanted to push back on that a little bit. So maybe now we can get into Stefanos and kind of what we think for him. Yeah, I mean, I think Stefanos, again, another really good tournament. He was able to avenge the loss from last week against Alexander Zverev, one of his uh, biggest rivals on tour. Uh, but at the same time, I think there's some stuff that's lacking in his game when it comes to playing against guys like Alcaraz and Novak, who really take his time away on the court. One thing I've noticed specifically is when, uh, you know, some of these guys are taking the ball on the rise and they're hitting it to Stefanos's forehand or his backhand. Stefanos is like shanking a lot of them or missing a lot of them, but because his segmented swing, which is essentially a ball that as a professional player, you're trying to shorten your swing for a ball that's coming a little faster, is not good. He doesn't have a segmented swing. So he's got a big take back on his forehand, kind of loopy. So um, when these guys are taking his time away, he's, he's kind of missing a lot of spraying balls. Um, he did have some tough uh, matches earlier in the tournament. He faced a couple match points against Grigor in the first round. Even lost a set to Kachanov. So um, I think Stefanos is in a good place right now. But at the same time, I don't see the belief there that he can beat Novak, to be honest. Um, I think last year at the French Open, you know, he was up two sets to love, ended up losing a tough five-setter. I thought it would only go up from there, his confidence against a guy like Novak, just because he was put in that situation. But, uh, yeah, just going on the court, losing the first set, six love. I mean, it takes two parties for a six love set to happen, you know, and uh, Stefanos looked a little out of sorts. So, uh, you know, I think he's got to get with his coaches, maybe make some slight adjustments. Second serve was not good uh, against Novak, way too predictable. We know Novak uh, has a tab on his opponent's game style, so it looked like he kind of knew what set was coming from the other side of the net. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think great tournament for Stefanos, finals, and he, he's got a chance uh, at the French Open. Yeah, from my side, uh, with regards to Stefanos, I think he had a great tournament. Um, took out Zverev, which was a big win after he lost to him um, in Madrid. So I think that probably boosted his confidence. Those tight matches you were talking about early in the, earlier in the tournament were probably honestly good for him. Um, but going into the French, I don't see him being any different of a factor than I did before this tournament. I still think he's going to go deep. But when you're looking that helpless against Novak Djokovic in a two out of three set match, um, I don't know. You're going to need something special um, to beat him in a three out of five. So I, mean, I don't see him losing earlier than the quarterfinals, but I also don't see him win the tournament, you know? Exactly. Exactly. I, I think he's going to go deep for sure. Like I, but I also think uh, like Alcaraz, he, I see him as a potential winner of the tournament, but it's also possible that he could lose. I don't know third round, fourth round, who knows? Yeah, no, I, I, I don't, I would be surprised if he, there was someone on tennis channel who said that, um, like he wouldn't be surprised if Alcaraz lost in the first or second round. And no, uh, yeah, can't say that. I mean, is no. it possible? Yes. Would it be surprising? Absolutely. So, um, yes. so I think, I think it would be surprising, but not as surprising as if Stefanos or Novak lost in the first couple of rounds. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's the, the other thing I think is that you talked about Novak last year at the U.S. Open going for the, the Grand Slam. And also, same thing happened with Serena when she was going for the Grand Slam, just looked nervous every single match. I think we look, this is not a Grand Slam, but I think Iga's streak, there's kind of parallels there. Like everyone's talking about her streak. Uh, whatever, 28 in a row, and now she's kind of coming to the French Open with a spotlight on her. So my hot take is Iga and Carlos have really both have a chance to lose before the quarterfinals. 
So yeah, I think that that wraps it up for for our discussion on the Italian Open. Yeah, with that kind of wrapping up the tournament, I think we're kind of just both salivating to get to that first round in Paris on Sunday. Man, I don't know. I just want to fast forward. I can't wait for the French Open. Um, but uh, yeah, so we've got kind of some trivia here that'll bridge the uh, Novak uh, Tsitsipas final with the upcoming midfield topic. So uh, as you know, Vid, the uh, uh, 1,000th win for Novak Djokovic, which is just uh, an astounding stat. I mean, to add to a list of uh, all his records that he has uh, and the most uh, ATP Masters 1,000 championships as well. Um, so there's actually five people who have reached the 1,000 uh, thousand win threshold in the ATP. Uh, when Novak reached the 1,000 win threshold, he had 203 losses. Where does that rank among the top five? A thousand and two hundred three was his record. That's a thousand. I'm gonna say that that ranks. I want to say second or third. Third. I'm gonna say third. You're gonna say third. The correct answer is fourth out of five. So Jimmy Connors had 164 wins when he got to a thousand wins. Ivan Lendl. Oh. 164 losses, I'm sorry. Even Lendl, 199 losses. Nadal, 201 losses. And then Djokovic, 203 losses. And Federer was in fifth with 227 losses after 1,000 wins. So, interesting. Yeah. interesting. I just felt like – I guess Federer didn't – he didn't, you know, take off in the beginning of his career like yeah. uh, well and kind of I think Djokovic did. But I guess that makes sense now. But also thinking of it, I thought Federer could be, could be number one, honestly. But obviously that's not – not correct. Just because there was a time when he was just so dominant, didn't lose. But I guess it's more so about kind of earlier in their careers when they really started taking that off. Like few, that was like a few seasons before, like when Nadal was there, but Djokovic and Murray hadn't really started their ascent yet. And he was just dominating things. Yeah. Um, but Federer, we also don't remember, we forget, Federer's kind of had like seven years where he's kind of not been the top guy. Seven, eight years now. More than eight years where he's not been the top guy. He's still playing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, yeah, Connor's 1,164 is just crazy to think how good he was. I mean, Jimmy Connor. That guy is fucking nuts, that guy. He's <laughs> nuts, though. It's, it's crazy because we talked about, like, the older guys. Uh, now, all of a sudden, they can play their old. Jimmy Connors was still playing the fucking U.S. Open at, like, 40 years old. He was still, like, making the final of the U.S. Open at 39. Crazy yeah. shit. Yeah, that documentary about him playing the U.S. Open just yeah. you want to run through a wall. It's crazy. What was that called? I, I got to watch it. No, um, not sure. I'll, I'll I'll check it out. Put I'll put it I'll put it in the um I'll put it in the description for the yeah. Put that description in the link. Jimmy Connors' best record after a thousand wins in uh, tennis history. So, um, yeah. No. Uh, congrats to Novak on that milestone. Um, so before we do the midfield, we're gonna do a little midfield trivia, and I guess the midfield trivia is the hint to the answer to this question. Um, but uh, what we're gonna do is we're gonna go to upset. So. Who has the best record in 2022 against players ranked ahead of them? And I'll give you the percentage that's the, the number one. You can try to guess the player. So this player has won 48% of matches against players ranked ahead of him. Who is this player? And he's number one. 48% of matches against players ranked ahead of them. Correct. And they're somewhere in the midfield, meaning 40 to 70. Yes, and this player that's been playing very well. We're, he's a player that we are certainly a fan. Like, we, we follow him. 
It's not a hard answer. Yeah, I, I shouldn't know this. I feel like I've heard this. I feel like I've heard this stat. Um, is it? And the number one guy is 48%. The number two guy is 42.8%. So it's a 6% difference. Is it Holger Rune? Really good guess. I would have guessed Holger. Holger's number four on that list. I would guess Holger. It's Jensen Brooksby. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. That's kind of surprising. Is it surprising? Yeah, yeah a little bit. Do we go to midfield? Yeah. Uh, okay, let's go to the midfield this week. Interesting week for the midfield because that tournament was kind of chalky. Like, a lot of the top seats going deep. We saw Garen obviously make the quarterfinals um, through a kind of a fortunate draw uh, and some good tennis as well. But, um, yeah, kind of not, nothing too highlighty from the midfield. Nothing terrible either. I don't know, Vid. Who is your winner-loser from the midfield? Uh, yeah, I'll give my winners and losers, but you want to just remind the listeners about kind of the definition of the midfield really quickly, uh, just so. Yeah, really quickly. So we kind of have the three categories for these players, Grand Slam contenders, as you can Novak, Medvedev, Zverev, and then there's a second tier guys like Felix, uh, Shapovalov, we'll call those blue chip guys who are running deep in majors, deep in masters. So we kind of cover those guys on the podcast, I would say, because uh, they do go deep in tournaments and they have to be covered. But we do a segment dedicated to the midfield, which is guys ranked below that who are kind of on the ATP tour. They could lose a few first rounds in a row. They could uh, win ATP 250. But just worth paying attention to some of these guys here in the first, second round, because uh, when they do well, you can kind of pinpoint what they're going to do in the future, I guess. Okay, yeah, thanks for that. So my hey, win- give, give, your, give your winner, and then um, I'll give my winner, and then we do this. Uh, okay, sounds good. So my winners, number one is Marcos Giron. Um, Italian Open, five matches in a row. Had to come through qualifying. Beat Greek Sport, Bublik, and Schwartzman on clay, which is very impressive. And what was even more impressive than his results was his interaction with the crowd. Just awesome, getting those guys fired up, which is what you love to see. Marcos really kind of doing it on the court and also doing it for the fans. So that was awesome to see. And I think um, he's kind of a guy where you don't, I don't think he would be great on clay. He's, he is a consistent player. But he's really a California hardcore specialist um, kind of guy. So to see him doing that well on the clay is pretty impressive. And uh, it'll be fun to see how he does um, at Roland Garros. I think he's already out of the 250 this week. Um, but it'll be fun to see if he can make any damage um, down in Paris. Yeah, I think you, you need to follow your qualifying a little better because he didn't go through qualifying. He actually got – he lost in the final round of qualifying, was a lucky loser, uh, afforded a lucky loser into the main draw. And I think that's one of those things when you're a midfield player and you get these breaks, right, losing and qualifying and you're able to make the main draw, you have to take advantage of it. Um, and he did so against Bublik, a, a great win, three-set win. Uh, again, you could draw a guy like Bublik, that can be a win on a clay court. And then um, beating Diego Schwartzman, a top – you know, top 15 guy, uh, incredible win. And Vid, you talked about, talked about Giron. I mean, I think he's a kind of guy who, he's a fringe guy on the ATP tour. Like if he slips out of the top 60, top 75, that could start that downward slide where he's back in the challenger. So getting these kind of results are so important for him. He was one of my winners as well. I have a backup because I thought that you were going to pick him as well. 
Um, he was on a six-match losing streak coming into this tournament, so needed to find something. Um, and I thought, yeah, great, great for him to to uh, to be interacting with the crowd. And we know he played college tennis, and that same atmosphere, kind of on that Petri Angeli court, which I think is one of the coolest atmospheres in uh, the game today. But you're right, he did lose to Ilya Ivashka this week. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, maybe it'll give him some time to prepare for uh, the French Open uh, coming up here uh, uh, on Sunday. So, um, yeah, I mean, I have a backup winner because um, obviously G. Rowan, a great winner. And I went with Karen Kachanov as my backup winner here. Um, he's had a tough, tough season, uh, tough season so far um, on the clay and even on the hard court. He didn't do too well in Miami. Um, yeah, you kind of look at Kachanov as a guy who's been losing a lot early rounds, but um, he was able to beat an Italian qualifier in the first round. So a guy who came through qualifying uh, in Italy against, you know, that raucous crowd we saw in the first round against, uh, we saw Sanego Shapovalov first round, how raucous that crowd gets behind um, the Italian. So a good win to come through that. And then beat a guy like Corretto Busta in the second round. I mean, Corretto Busta, his home is the clay court. He loves clay and hard actually, but um, no, that's an extremely impressive win. And then he took a set off St Stefanos in the third round um, kind of coming out of nowhere. I was so surprised to see him uh, take take that set. And I know a guy like Kachanov, he's ineligible to play in Wimbledon. That's his best surface. So he's got to get as many wins as he can here in the clay and on the grass. Yeah, totally. I didn't even honestly think of Karen um, as, as a winner. But yeah, that totally makes sense with all that analysis. And um, I'll say sorry to Greek Spore for chopping you on that win. Uh, I thought Mark... <laughs> That is my bad. The three setter, at least. I don't think so. No, I don't think. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's kind of kind of sad that the Russians won't be able to play at Wimbledon, and we're not going to get into that now. But just thought it was worth it's mentioning. From a perspective of he needs to win because he can't yeah. play. Right, right, right. Yeah, but just a little sad they can't play. Can't play that tournament. Uh, should we go to losers? Yeah, and then you know, Kachanov has made the quarters of Roland Garris in the past, so he can find form on clay. I'll say that. Yeah. All right, losers. You want to go first? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll go for my loser and my loser. I think, you know, when we do winners and losers for midfield also, it's like, we kind of have to take in consideration where they are in the midfield. Like Giron making the third round, that's not going to be a win for everyone in the midfield. Um, and I'm going to go with Sebastian Corda as my loser for midfield, because he's one of these guys that we group into the rising star category where we're kind of always expecting him to be rising up the rankings. And if you kind of just notice, he has not been doing that. He, he can get like a great wins where he's beaten Carlos Alcaraz on clay this season, but then he's also got some bad losses. I mean, he was up a set and multiple match points against TFO in the semis in Portugal and just blew, totally blew that. And it was a choke job. I mean, he was missing left and right. He had lost all confidence in his forehand and his backhand. Um, and, you know, he, he's lost to, uh, to Carlos Tabernard, 6-3-6-2. This tournament, he lost to Botic Van de Zanschlup, 6-4-6-1 in the first round. Um, a guy who we had beat earlier in the clay court season. So I think, I think Cord is a guy who slips under the radar, who's supposed to be a rising star, and we praise his wins. We don't really recognize when he loses, and he loses a lot of kind of first-round matchup. I call him the tease of the next gen because he's not really been in the top 40 yet, and you almost think of him as an up-and-coming guy. Um, yeah, I don't know. My advice for him would be to bulk up a little bit, get some strength in there. He's kind of a stick out there on the court. So um, get, in the, get in the gym, lift some weights, and maybe make a final. Yeah, that's a, honestly a great point you just made there, that we just glorify his wins and don't really talk about him when he loses. Because, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, last year, 2021 Miami, was it? Um, whenever he had that one big tournament in Miami. Ever since then, everyone's been kind of a 
you know, a Corda, Corda fan and saying he's kind of the next big thing. But I think you're right. We're, we're not very um, – there's no scrutiny when he loses. So I think that's a really good point, good point to bring up, to be honest. Um, yeah, we'll see what he can do. Is he playing? I don't think he's playing this week. And I think he should have played this week after losing the first round. But I guess he's training for a French Open. Um, well, who's your loser? My loser is honestly a great one because I picked my loser. I actually told you my loser yesterday. And this was before he played his match um, in Geneva. I actually saw him um, that he was supposed to play today, but it was before the result. And I was like, wow, I hope he loses just so my – loser prediction on the midfield is not very nice you don't want to wish ill will on players in the hp2 or i mean you know what they go through we tweet that's just harsh <laughs> so tough out there but yes i was hoping he lost it just to make my prediction look better but my loser for um this week um is going to be albert ramos venolas um, <laughs> of spain uh he's currently ranked inside the top 40 uh, he's 34 years old, and but had a career high ranking of um, number 17. So he got up there pretty high um, and got to um, the final of the 2017 Monte Carlo Masters. So just a little background on Albert, but uh, he's been struggling as of late. Um, lost three first rounds in a row to Chilich in Madrid, uh, Italy. He lost to Tommy Paul, and today. A tough one, a tough one. Lost to Christopher O'Connell, the Aussie, seven six six four. So um, seeing a Spaniard struggle on the clay um, over those last three events is um, uh, tough to see for him, but hopefully he can find his form, whatever that means for him when we get to Paris. Yeah, I agree. I think he's always someone who kind of goes deep in clay events, not happening this season. Is he older? Is, I'm just wondering if age is a thing with, with him, because he feels like he's been on the tour forever. But <laughs> Albert Ramos Vinolas is 34 years old. Okay, so he's old. So is he actually? Yeah. That's so that's old. That's old. So he's finally he's experiencing the dip, but I don't think he treats his body like a temple like Novak Djokovic does. So I think he's got more like kind of like late nights in Madrid going out and stuff like that. Um, no, I agree. That's a great a great loser for a guy who you expect to be winning matches on clay. He lost to Lloyd Harris on clay this year, which is just a terrible loss. I mean, Lloyd is one of the losers for like the entire season. If you talk about has not been doing very well. Um, but yeah, bad loss against Chris O'Connell. But I think Chris O'Connell is kind of a guy to look at a little bit because he's whenever I watch him he's a great player he made the third round of the Australian Open beat Schwarzman in the second round there so um but yeah overall a bad loss for Vanilla so I asked his age because it seems like a guy's been around for just ever like Pablo Andujar type and he just continues to play so I don't know maybe he's falling off maybe this is maybe this might be the last year for Albert even playing these tournaments who knows I yeah I sure hope you don't have to say bye to Albert but man <laughs> I'm always partial to these lefty guys man yeah, those are some really interesting winners and losers that I think we both came up with. It'll be interesting to see how all those guys do come Paris, but um, we do have one more week here on the ATP Tour. Uh, we've got Geneva and Lyon. Uh, kind of an interesting mix of players going on, but um, the obviously the thing that caught my eye from today was Medvedev, who I forgot that – I thought he was going to be out for the French Open. Why, why come play two tournaments? But he decided to play, and – uh, promptly gets uh, ousted from the tournament uh, routinely by Richard Gasquet, 6276. Uh, interesting stat for Richard. He's now beaten every number ranked player in the top 100. So, in his entire career, he's beaten one through 100 uh, ranked players. You understand what I'm saying? So, cool stat for Richard and a great win for him. I mean, Richard Gasquet beating a number two player in the world in 2022. 
hats off, man. Um, I don't know, Ed, what are your thoughts on maybe Geneva, Lyon, whatever? Uh, yeah, it's a great, great stat for, for Richard. We can put that in his freaking Instagram bio or something. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, thoughts on those two tournaments? I think uh, some things that caught my eye, obviously, Daniil losing. Losing, but honestly not surprising that he lost. Hasn't had any matches on clay. Hates clay. Um, just in terms of how his game style is, standing deep in the court, hitting those drives that – honestly, are not going to work on the clay as well as they do on the hard. Um, you need to be able to hit spin on clay. Yeah, so that's where he's struggling. And it was it was a little surprising, but also not crazy that he uh, lost to Richard there. But other things I had my eye on in Geneva was um, Kakanakis looked in really good form today against uh, Fognini. Uh, took him out pretty handily. I know Fognini is an older guy, but I think it was really good for Thanasi to get. I think he, he took some time off. Um, not playing too many tournaments on the clay, which was smart given um, what his body has been through over the last several years. So smart of him to come play this 250 um, and kind of start his clay court season a little bit later. Um, I think the other thing that I'm really looking at is um, Casper Ruud in this tournament. And the reason for that is this is a stronger 250 than the 250s that people make fun of him for playing, you know? Like, the random two... Is it, though? Like, who's... It's Federico Del Bonis is seated. I, I, it, feels, it feels stronger to me. I think he's going to have to play Shapovalov in the finals. He, he's going to play... Um, who's his next round against? It's he plays Benoit. Benoit Pair, who's, who's, you know, maybe someone who will play those 250s, but is a threat, you know, um, on occasion. He can be a threat. So, I think just seeing his draw... Um, seeing kind of the, I think this tournament's a little bit stronger than some two fifties that he's played and won. Um, so I'd like to see how he does. And I assume he'll go to the finals and probably win it, but uh, I have my eye on him. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see in Leon. Leon, I think a little more interesting. Should I, is it okay if I go to Leon? I'll just hop it on Geneva there. Yeah. It'd be great to see a Shapovalov against Rude rematch in the finals. Um, I, yeah. I don't know. For, so last year in Geneva, Rude did make the finals, but that kind of hampered him at the French. He ended up losing the third round uh, to Davidovich Fakina. So I don't know for Casper. I mean, it'll be great to win this 250, but you always worry about the 250s right before the majors. Guys who go deep, will they, their bodies be uh, ready to, to uh, kind of prepare? Um, other thing I think we have to mention from this tournament is Dominic team another loss. That's seven now, six. Made his comeback. I think we all thought it was going to take some time, but... Six three six four to Marco Cecchinato. That's actually a rematch of a, um, a French Open quarterfinal, believe it or not. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's unfortunate. I don't know if you want to touch on Dominic at all, um, but but yeah. Um, yeah, no, Dominic struggling to find his form, and I think um, now we can start to ask the questions like, when will it come back for him? He's not he's not Novak Djokovic. He doesn't have. 20 grand slam title so i think it's fair enough to ask the questions about his injury and whether he will return to form or when he it's will one grand slam I, I didn't say he didn't i said novak Djokovic. champion that's so. that's great but he's not novak Djokovic. what i'm saying is if he, he cannot he could lose every other match of his entire career at least he did win that US Open. exactly that's that's awesome um yeah. So, yeah, no, it's definitely interesting there. And then the one other thing I will say about Geneva, kind of you mentioned, um, not really just Geneva, but just 250s right before slams. And um, who's going to play those? Casper plays every week. 
literally, really? literally every week. He, he's in every tournament. It's <laughs> actually amazing that he can do that. Um, no matter how deep he goes, he will be playing the next week. So I don't think this will be an issue for him going into the French Open. So I, I like, I'd like to see some stats, Drew. I don't know, next week if you pull up how many tournaments Casper played last year, I would be interested to see that. That would be good to see. I don't know. I think every player is kind of different. Some players like staying in that tournament mode, and they once they get in, they can't get out. Other guys like to take two, three weeks train, like we saw Kalkanakis, and, and come back and kind of implement new things in their game. But um, I think Casper sometimes – he's a guy who uses 250s or, like, these tournaments as a practice ground, as a training ground or something he's, he's used. That's kind of thing, something I've noticed about every player on the ATP. They might play every week, but sometimes they're implementing something new or not using it as practice per se, but – kind of like match play, you know? Right. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's great. I think it's um, – it really gets your confidence up. If you're winning some matches, getting match play in, I think it's great what Casper does in terms of his scheduling, if his body can handle it. Um, but, yeah, I guess uh, get into Lyon now. Uh, what I'll be looking for there is Camo Nori versus Sebastian Baez. Oh, boy. That is a salivating matchup. That it is I Friday? I guess it's Friday. It's got to be Friday, right? Yeah, it'll be Friday. Yeah, and so I'll be interested to see who comes through that one because um, Bias has looked pretty in form with his um, title, I think in Portugal it was, and um, I, it'll be really interesting to see because Cam Nori, um, more so as a hardcourt player, and Sebastian Baez, uh, Argentinian, probably more comfortable on the clay. So I think that's uh, um, kind of an upset potential upset alert that we can look at um, uh, with that matchup. And also, another thing I want to keep an eye on, I guess we could call Leon kind of the uh, next next-gen tournament because I want to look at Holger Rune. Yep. Was, um, he had a huge winning that tournament in Germany and I guess struggled in his last match in the Italian Open. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how he does. And I think he's going to face, if they all get to where they should, we'll face Baez or Nori. So if we could see him versus Baez in, I think, it, what would be the semifinals, that would be an intriguing matchup for the next next gen. So that's what I'll have my eye on at the 250s these week, this week. Yeah, I mean, for me, when I see 250s, it's more about some of these midfield players in the finals, and you see these guys with a chance to get that huge bucket of points that are at the end. That's what, that's what intrigues me about the 250s. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, the 250s are great events. Um, you know, probably the um, average tennis fan is not watching them. Um, people who like to get more involved with it are probably watching them. But they're, they're great events to watch. Also, great events to go to. You can see some of these great players up so close in, you know, later rounds of tournaments as well. So it's um, definitely a good kind of tournament to watch, um, you know, on TV or in, or live. So it's – Yeah, I mean, let's just highlight for – so I'm going to go off the board a little bit with the player that – None of you have probably heard of, and I hadn't heard of before this tournament, uh, Yosuke Watanuki. He's in the quarterfinals of this event. He came through qualifying. He's ranked 263 in the world, and he beat Pedro Martinez, who's an ATP winner this year, and Sunwoo Kwan, who's a perennial top 50 player. He was both 5-1 to one underdogs, uh, more than 5-1 to one underdogs in both those matches. Uh, and now he faces Alex Dimonor in the quarterfinals. So I just love these random guys who come – from, you know, in the 200s to make a run through qualifying at, at, at this event. And, yeah, I'm excited to see Volga Rune. Um, we've got a potential Kachanov-Kareno-Busta rematch in the quarterfinals. And then, um, 
yeah, Alex Dimonor, who's had a really good season for his standards on the clay. Uh, it would be, be great to see him maybe maybe make a deep run here. But uh, I'm going to take I'm going to take Sebastian Baez this week. I think Baez is going to run through Cam Nori, and I think uh, he's on his way to another clay title. That's my prediction. Mm-hmm. What's yours? <laughs> I, I, I said I was had my eye on Sebastian Bias too, so I don't have a kind of bold prediction like that, but I'll 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 go with you on that. I kind of agree. But just honestly, real quickly, back to Watanuki. That is it? Yeah, yeah I, I think sorry, uh Yosuke for pronouncing it wrong, but I think it's Watanuki. Yeah, Yosuke Watanuki. Did he play the Cleveland Challenger? I don't know, but like we can look it up because we do have Google. So look that up real quick. Yeah. Um, Watanuki was one of the last acceptances. He also beat Taberner in the first round of qualifying, which, I mean, Taberner is just an incredible, incredible tennis player. Uh, yeah, he played Challenger in Cleveland. Yes, he did. He oh. lost to Emilio Nava in the second round of qualifying. So we have a guy who is losing in qualifying of Challenger events, making the quarterfinals. Round of applause for Yosuke. Amazing stuff. And I was actually, I was boots on the ground in Cleveland at that challenger uh didn't watch him play singles but got to watch him play doubles and he looked he looked good i mean that's all i'll say because i don't know what else i could say but he looked pretty solid <laughs> yeah guy there but it was it was it was a good tournament to watch there's a lot of good guys at that challenger challengers are also great to watch but yep 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 um but i think i think that about wraps it up yeah so looking forward to another week of ATP events, 250s, and then obviously we're both going to have our eyes on French Open qualifying. Unfortunately, did not get a chance to touch on that, but going to be interesting to see the draw come out and kind of preview, go go through our predictions. I don't know. Uh, anything else before we sign off, Ben? No, I think that about wraps it up. Um, and looking forward to... Getting- well, pair is going to beat Casper. Uh, so we're recording this before the match. That's my prediction. That's my bold prediction. Benoit over Casper.